Genesis uh, 3, 22. Then the Lord said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. Friends, we both uh, need the Holy Spirit to hear and respond, to speak and to receive. And so I pray the Lord be with you. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word and the goodness of your body and the gift of your spirit. Blow where you want, Lord. Breathe, breath of God, into us today. Don't just um, awaken our minds, but uh, open our hearts to receive your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we are ending, uh, we're ending the beginning part of our beginning and ending sir. Uh, sermon series. Um, I said that for Andy because he liked it. And um, uh, we we're coming to the end of this creation sort of bedrock at the beginning of our story. And we've been preaching through this now for several months, for two months, because we're trying to situate ourselves between the beginning and the end of the story we've been given as Christians so we know how to live today. And so we've, we've been preaching through what we can learn about who we are and who God is and how we're to live today based upon how the story begins. And so we've been proclaiming good news about creation and, and God arranging and ordering chaos and bringing life out of darkness and light out of darkness and, and light out of, uh, life from death. And we've been talking about who we are, male and female, and how we've been created and what we can get from Genesis in terms of answers to questions and some really bad questions we can take to Genesis, and then we get really bad, jacked-up answers, right? Today, we're getting to the end sort of of this little beginning story uh, poem that deals with what's typically called the curse, right? This is kind of the big downer of the opening act of the book of Genesis. And oftentimes, friends, the way that we hear this the way that we receive this is kind of like, you know, uh, God saying, okay, you broke that one rule, that rather small, perhaps we fear arbitrary rule about this one tree with this one fruit, and now, uh, now you live under a curse forever. This moment of indiscretion, and now you're forever cursed, Women are to blame. Men get to be in charge. Right? There's going to be uh, labor pains, not only here, but here. Right? Uh, and uh, thanks a lot. And you got to leave. You're booted. You're punished. Banished. Common way, right, that we, we hear this. Adam and Eve blow it, so men get to dominate women. Women need epidurals. Uh, men have midlife crises because their jobs stink. God lowers the boom, kicks them out. One indiscretion, and now humanity's screwed forever. All right, let's, let's take up an offering. Ben? Thanks be to God. Uh, this, is, this is a story that I think uh, demonstrates 
and reveals a misunderstanding about who God is. And we see it not just in the Christian imagination, but it's a story that gets told in our culture too. So most of you have seen or are familiar with the Disney version of the fairy tale Beauty and the Beast. Yeah? There was a new live-action movie that just came out uh, with Emma Watson. I almost said Stone. I'm not sure who that is. Emma Watson. And uh, the, the contour of the story, uh, the story was written, I think, in 18th century France, and it's changed a lot. Like Disney, when they get their hands on stories, they tend to change them. And they change this story. And so the story that, that Disney tells, God rest his soul, <laughs> is that there's this enchantress. Okay? She's some sort of sorceress witch who's looking for a place to stay in a storm. And she comes to this castle where this prince is having a party. And she has a rose in her hands, and she offers the prince the rose. And she says, will you please let me wait out this awful storm uh, and receive me with hospitality, and I'll give you this rose as a gift of payment. And the prince laughs at her and says no and turns her out. Well, he has this moment of indiscretion, and the repercussion of his indiscretion is that the enchantress puts a curse on the prince and his castle. The prince is turned into a beast. All his servants are turned into household items. And the rose that was going to be a gift becomes an emblem or symbol of his cursedness. And the story then goes that the, the rose is slowly dying. It's like, a, it's like a time clock, right? It's like a sand of an hourglass. And it's dropping petals. And the beast, the only way to undo his curse is to find true love. <laughs> it's to find true love, not only loving someone else, but them loving him in return before the last petal drops. Yeah, you guys know this story, right? Um, I want to say that this, this is an archetypal story. This is a story about how we see the universe slash God slash justice slash reality. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a misconception that none of us, if we were taking a doctrine test, would circle on a doctrine test, right? But, but it's something that lives in our bones about who God is, that God is a tit-for-tat justice machine. That if you violate God's holy commands, that His justice demands punishment. And that Adam and Eve offended a holy God, and so God's retributive response of punishment was just. But I want to suggest that this is an unhelpful and, in fact, incorrect way of viewing God. And it's not doing justice to what we actually see happening in Genesis 3. Today we see in our text that God, we see a God committed so much to his creation project and his people that, that he violate their freedom for the sake of his love, but he works in and through their, he accommodates himself to their freedom and continues to love and be committed to them. Today we proclaim that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how much you've lost, God has not given up on you. He covers your shame, meeting you where you're at, limits the damage you can inflict, and ultimately brings you back of his son Jesus on the cross.
I want to clear some things up right away about this text, friends. It's called the curse. Um, and we see it as God punishing Adam and Eve. And I want to suggest it's neither. Real clear. If you got your Bible in front of you, you can look at it. I know most of you have this memorized, so there's no need. But there's, there's really clear cursing here. And there's really clear not cursing. Guess who gets cursed here? The serpent and the soil. Guess who doesn't get cursed here? Adam and Eve. That's the first thing. Adam and Eve are not cursed. Second, the consequences of their choices. We could call them punishments, but I think we have some jacked up frames to understand punishment. I mentioned those earlier, like the enchantress putting a curse, like, like a Harry Potter zap. The curse isn't a Harry Potter zap. But you notice, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this, all the repercussions and consequences of this choice that Adam and Eve made are natural outworkings of their choice. They're natural consequences that evolve from their indiscretion. So we're going to talk about them as consequences rather than punishments. So first, friends, let's just talk through the brass tacks of this. Uh, the woman, we're told, uh, to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. This is verse 16. In pain shall you bring forth your children. Yet your desires shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. We're going to talk more about this on Tuesday night. We have a Tuesday night class where we kind of teach and unpack and answer questions. I can't, I can't teach through everything in this text. There's tons of stuff here. So join us Tuesday nights, get on GroupMe to get the link for our online class. But what, what um, Hebrews were not concerned, Israelite imagination was not concerned about um, like the secondary causes of things. So when, 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 God, when God's voicing here, um, I, I will do this, I will greatly increase uh, your pains in childbirth, uh, in the Hebrew mind, like everything kind of goes back to God um, and so, and then later on we see in the in Old Testament revelation that we begin to see like other, like we see in the book of Job, like there's this sense of which, like there's this other kind of being that's also doing things, has a will as well. So um, this, 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 this proclamation is not so much a prescription of what God's doing to you, but it's more of a description of, of how your life is going to be now. He's describing the consequences that are a result of the transgressions. He's not prescribing a punishment that's meted out by God sort of arbitrarily. So he names, notice what he names to, to Adam and Eve. I'll just start with Eve here, but he names everything that he gave to her in creation is now frustrated, as we read in Romans 8. The creation is under frustration. You guys heard that? Everything that he gave as a gift is now frustrated and compromised. So, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What we saw in creation was Adam and Eve were created one flesh. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Right? They're naked, no shame. Right? There was this 
there was this mutuality, this giving and receiving of relationship. Now we see there's this rivalry and faction of desire. There's, there's this domination. He will rule over you, right? And that will create rivalry, which we'll see actually in Genesis 4. Tons of rivalry happening, right? Our significance that we have to be God's image bearers, so belonging, significance. Our image bearers, right, to have dominion, right? Well, two of the main ways that women had dominion in, in this life was, was childbearing, being a wife and a mother. And now we see the description of what happens when you trust something other than God for what God gives you in creation is that you have frustration in what you've been given to do, your authority, right? So there's pain. There's pain in childbearing, right? And pain in being a wife. And now, um, and now also, too, God's provision for us, taking care of us, providing us, we'll see this with the man, is now frustrated because thorns and thistles, the soil is cursed. Your work will be thwarted. It will be hard. So think about this, friends, not in the terms of God prescribing a curse like the enchantress cursing the beast, but, but in terms of God's decided to share his presence and power and provision, his belonging, significance, and security with people, and he's decided that that's a better way of being God than not. And he's so committed to this project that has to take into account sort of our willingness and agency to participate in it. He's not after minions, he's after icons. Just want robots. He would have created robots if he wanted obedience robots, but that's not what we are. He gives us real, true freedom to say yes or no, right? So now, so now he describes what your yes to that fruit will do, but even in the midst of that, he does not leave them. He does not forsake them. Friends, today we proclaim the good news that no matter what you've done, how long you've gone, how far you've gone, God is not done with you. He is committed to you ruthlessly. He covers our shame. He limits the damage that we can inflict based upon our bad choices, and he provides a way back to himself through the new tree of life, the cross of Jesus Christ. So the woman then, she, uh, she experiences frustration, pain. This word here, pain, doesn't just mean like... Um, it hurts to give babies. And actually, there's this really, if we had like 85 minutes to preach, like there's this interesting thing about reaching for the tree of good knowledge and how humans are the mammal with the largest cranium and how the large cranium with uh, the whole birthing process of women uh, creates all kinds of issues for humans that other animals don't have. Are you tracking with me? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so there's this actually interesting little like Interesting, the consequence of you wanting to get more knowledge is that your heads are bigger and it's going to hurt to give babies, have babies. Like there's this little thing happening in here that's like kind of like this subtle Hebrew irony that's happening. But the word pain doesn't just mean um, I could really use an epidural. The word pain is an emotional pain. And the childbearing is more about being a mom than just the actual, the word means more than just giving birth, it means having kids. So we see there's pain in childbearing here. Now, one of the problems with seeing this as a prescriptive punishment 
is that we do all kinds of crazy stuff with this verse. That the woman's desire will be for her husband and, and he will rule, rule over you. Uh, back in the 19th century, for instance, I'll use this illustration and then we'll come to the present day. Back in the 19th century, they began to use anesthesia in surgeries for the first time, which is, you know, praise God, right? It's a huge, huge advancement in medical technology. Anybody who's given birth or even had a headache, yay for anesthesia, right? But when they introduced anesthesia for labor and delivery, there was one group of people who were vehemently opposed to it, protested, wrote letters, op-eds, um, actually called down the judgment of God on people who would use it. Can you guess the group of people who did that? It wasn't the Atheist Club. Um, male, past, male clergy. Male clergy pointed to this verse and said that um, if God wanted women not to have pain in childbearing, he wouldn't have done this. And so if you take anesthesia for labor and delivery, you are violating God's will. Not only is this an incorrect interpretation of this passage, right? This is a description of what's happening. This isn't, God isn't saying, good, I'm glad we got the Garden of Eden out of the way. Now I can curse you like I wanted to all along. No, this is God saying, okay, because you've done this, this is what's happening, Right? But I just, want to, I just want to point out that this verse has been used for millennia by people with my hormones to tell people without my hormones what they can do with their bodies. And it's wrong, and I'm sorry. It plays itself out every day. Every day. I was, I mean, uh, the confirmation of Judge Kavanaugh, of, uh, sorry, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, is a, is a playing out of this. I was raised in the 1980s, so I watched movies like Revenge of the Nerds, sorry, this is a confession time, and um, like uh, Blade Runner, other movies, where, honestly, um, scenes, regular scenes in these movies um, normalized sexual assault. There's a scene in Blade Runner where Harrison Ford's character is falling in love with this android. Sorry if you haven't seen it yet. And it came out uh, 30 years ago. Um, and, and he's falling in love with this android and, and she's like uncomfortable and he's like trying to make a pass at her and she gets off the couch and runs to the door and he goes and shuts the door and like grabs her and takes a kiss, right? In 1983, we, we watched that and we were like, yeah. Way to go, man. In 2018, I watched that and I'm like, wow, this is sexual assault. What is happening here? I'm supposed to like you, not, right, not, not like you. We have a history, friends, of males dominating females' bodies. And I want to explicitly state today that that is not God's will, that that is not what Jesus teaches us, and it's a result of the fall. It's a part of the curse that is overcome and redeemed in Jesus. And if guys like me who believe in Jesus and believe in the scriptures had been saying this all along, 
and repenting of the, the wrecking havoc that patriarchy has done over women's bodies and their agency and authority over their bodies, we wouldn't be in many of this, the cultural situations we're in today. I have a, I'll just mention this and then move on because um, I don't have time to talk about it. But I have a distinct hunch that we could ha- actually have a conversation about abortion in our culture if, if white men like me had said this 200 years ago. But only in a culture where men have control over women's bodies and tell them what they can and can't do, anesthesia for labor, only in that culture, and only a millennia under that way of living in a curse, could abortion be seen primarily as something that's about choice. Make no mistake, abortion is a choice. But it's way more than that. But if you've been told for thousands and thousands of years that you can't decide, make decisions about your body, then that's all it is. That's all it is. Today we proclaim that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've lost, that God has not given up on you. He doesn't just zap you with judgment, but he accommodates, he condescends to where you're at, he covers your shame, he limits the damage that you can do based upon your choices, honoring your freedom, and then gives you access to the tree of life through Jesus. So for the man, his sin was in eating, God says, and now his consequences are in with food and eating. Do you see this, this connection? Because you ate, because you listened to the the words of your wife and you ate the fruit she gave you, now all the stuff you do to get food will be frustrated. Do you see the connection? This isn't like you ate the fruit, uh, now you're going to get leprosy and uh, weird cold sores on your mouth. That's not what's happening here. Like there's a consequence that's tied to the transgression. So, uh, and there's also, again, this really interesting thing, like Adam's name is part of the word for ground or soil. So we have Adam and Adamah in Hebrew, right? And so there's this interesting, like this is how the Hebrews, I just mentioned this because we don't get this in English and there's more going on here than just giving information. Like this is a well-written, beautiful text that's meant to get the imagination awake. So the Adamah, the soil, is cursed because of the Adam. And part of that consequence is that the Adam will return to the Adamah. See that? And so God then here, the consequence is God withdrawing his presence, provision, and power because Adam and Eve have said, we don't need it. And God honors that choice, gives them over to it, never tries to talk them out of it, right? But then what we see, and this is why I don't like calling the first part of Genesis 3 the fall, because we see in Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 and Genesis 6, it just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? Cain kills Abel, Lamech brags about how bad he is. Then Genesis 6, we, we hear like God is grieved that he even made people because violence is everywhere. And then we probably need to preach about this sometime, but Genesis 6 then, the flood, again, isn't God zapping the world with water, but it's God withdrawing the presence that hovered over the waters at the beginning so those waters once again engulf the world. Divine judgment in Scripture is often divine withdrawal. Okay, I'll get out. Not, 
because you failed this test, now you're cursed and you had to perform to get it right. That's, that's the God of beauty and the beast. That's not the God of the scriptures, friends. So what does God do then? Here's the good news, friends. I, I was always taught that God like kicks them out, like you've lost, you know, what, you know what I mean? Like you stayed out too late and now you're kicked out of the dorm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you, you broke the rules, now here's the, here's the um, sentence, right? But notice, notice what God does. God, God condescends, God accommodates where they're at. So they're naked without shame, then they eat, they're full of shame, and they cover themselves. Rather than God saying, like clap tweeting at them, no, you don't need to have shame. Take those leaves off, you look silly. Right? What he does is, he gives them better coverings. Permanent coverings. Okay, now, now you're living with shame? I'll accommodate to that, and I'll be with you there. Do you see the beautifulness of that? God is giving, giving, giving of himself. And then he says, so that they won't eat of the tree of life and live forever, they need to leave. This isn't them getting kicked out because of what they've done wrong. This is God trying to limit the damage of their choice. If they've compromised their relationship to God and each other, but they're still sort of these finite mortal creatures, it's okay. But if they eat a tree of life and live forever in this compromised state, that's like eternal separation from God, right? God is literally saving Adam and Eve from hell here. Do you see that? This isn't punishment. This is provision. This is protection. Do you see how different that God is here? So friends, today we proclaim the good news. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how much you've lost, God has not given up on you. He comes to you right where you are accommodates, even in your worst choices, he's still available to you. He covers your shame. He limits the repercussions and consequences of your choices here and now by his hedge of protection around you. And he gives you access to his son Jesus, who shows us the new tree of life, his cross. This is why Jesus is our savior, friends. Because he becomes the new Adam, the true Adam, who battles all the temptations that Adam and Eve experienced to trust somebody else for significance, belonging, and provision, and he's victorious there. Amen? And he goes, he goes to a tree. He goes to a tree. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He bears the curse that we archetypally Adam and the Adams and Eves among us are complicit in because we share a human race. He bears that curse and ends it. And so as we sing on Christmas, no more let sin and sorrow grow, no thorns infest the ground. He comes to make 
His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. So through faith in Jesus, friends, we aren't just saved from eternal damnation. I mean, we are, praise God. But we get caught up in our original creation vocation again. The curse isn't the way things have to be. They are, it's the way that things are until the revelation of the children of, of God. And so as we come into our identity in Christ together, trusting Jesus, surrendering our lives to Him, we reclaim our identity as God's authorized agents to have dominion, to take care of things, to set the world right. I mean, that gets me out of bed in the morning. And the good news today is that no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've gone, no matter how much you've lost, God's not done with you. Um, This is something that I need to overcome every day of my life because I have this awful, um, kind of demanding, punishing, tit-for-tat, justice machine God that lives in my mind and I don't want him there. But he really, he really is a hard guy to kick out. So if something bad happens in my life, or if something's not going the way I want, it's easy for me to tie it to something that I've done. As though, as though karma is actually stronger than covenant. Right? So I, it takes me four weeks to find a job. And I work for racist jerkheads. Right? What did I do, God? We try to get pregnant, and we can't. Or we get pregnant, and we lose a baby. What did I do, God? Why are you punishing me? Can you relate to this, friends? We're going to say more about the tree of life as we come to the table. Don't want to proclaim all the good news in the sermon, because we are Anglican after all. But we want to respond to this God who accommodates, who comes to us right where we are with this prayer in your booklet. So let's do this now. It's just a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of surrender or petition, okay? So we don't want to just hear the sermon and get warm Jesus tinglies in our hearts. Take your, keep, there's nothing wrong with those tinglies. Keep them. But we want to offer our bodies. We want to respond right away to this good news, to Jesus who is among us. So we use this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your tree of life that saves us from death. We call upon you to be at work in our whatever, blank, or my blank. Friends, where do you experience the consequences and repercussions of the curse? of being alienated from other people, from creation, or from God. Here's here's something to ask yourself. Where do I feel frustration, anxiety, pain, longing, anger, hurt, betrayal, abandonment? Where do I experience those things? Just name it. 
Just name it, submit it to God. Then we'll say, may your blessing undo this curse. Lord, in your mercy, and we'll all confirm it. Hear our prayer. Let's, uh, let's, let's go to the Lord together in prayer.